Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today is Urbana Middle School teacher, film critic, and Ollie instructor Chuck Kaplinski. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Let's talk about your day job. You're no longer a language arts teacher. I was a language arts teacher at middle school for 28 years. Principal over there now, Dr. Joe Wiemelt, actually took a chance on me. I made a suggestion to teach elective classes this year. And the name of the classes I'm teaching is How to Read a Movie. I think that it's important that kids understand how films work. I hate to say this, but no one's reading anymore, especially younger people. They get a lot of their entertainment, a lot of their information from visual sources. So I think it's important that they understand how they're being manipulated by film. They need to know how editing works. They need to know how lighting works. They need to know how camera movements work and what they mean. And that's the whole gist of these these courses that I'm teaching to try and make at least the kids who come my way a bit more media literate because I think it's important going forward. Are you teaching the kids Tarantino-esque language mammoth or are you scaling it back a little bit? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we got it. You got to crawl before you walk. So uh, no, yeah, we're not doing anything like that. And I'm not showing anything beyond PG-13. Uh, sixth grade classes, we go up to PG and then seventh and eighth grade, we, we do a little bit more, but uh, you know, there's plenty of things to look at. And like I say, I'm starting with, you know, students who don't know anything about editing, who don't know anything about what lighting means. So it's a lot of fun just kind of going back and, uh, re-examining, you know, the rudimentary tools that are used and, you know, refreshes me as well to go back and look at those basic things and uh, impart that to them. Are you impressive to them as a film critic or are you just Mr. <laughs> Kuplinski? I doubt I impress anyone. Some, some of them will stumble upon me on TV, you know, and then suddenly that will pique their interest. Uh, some of them will see my picture in the News Gazette and after they're done, you know, drawing, you know, blacking out some of my teeth and putting mustaches on me, you know, I'm noticed there. You have to remember that, you know, Young teens and preteens, they're hard to impress. It's not me, but I think it's the movies I show that impress them. Because I tell them when we start, you know, we're going to watch things you wouldn't watch on your own. That's the whole point of this. We're not going to watch, you know, that horror film. We're not going to watch this. I'm going to push other things in front of you, and you need to have uh, an open mind. And uh, I think the films impress them. We just got done a couple weeks ago with Million Dollar Baby. And, you know, oh, I don't want to watch. This looks stupid, you know. And then at the end, they're in tears. And that's what I love when they are, you know, cynical at the beginning because there's nothing more cynical than a 12-year-old. But then all that stuff falls away and they become emotionally involved in a film and walk out. Changed would be, you know, a, a, you know, a stretch, but maybe more open to looking at things that they wouldn't normally watch. Let's look at the other spectrum of people you teach. As I mentioned, you teach classes at Ali. Isn't that sect or age group more opinionated than 12-year-olds? Oh, yeah, and they actually pay attention, too. Uh, so that's fun. Oh, yeah, they're very opinionated, very opinionated. And, you know, they pay their money there, and, you know, they're free to express their opinions, and I'd like to hear that, too. You know, I learn things. What are you teaching them? What kind of movies do you watch? Right now, we're doing eight weeks on 1939. 1939 is regarded the greatest year in Hollywood history. So it's the 80th anniversary of that. So that's what we're doing at the moment. And that's what I like to do. I like to look back at the old stuff. And they tend to appreciate it as well. You've said the best and worst of the human spirit and the human condition can be found through the art of movie making. You might not even remember saying that, but what do you mean by that? One of the things I love about film is that it's often a mirror of us. 
as far as what we're going through as a society. And I love looking back at top 10 lists of the top 10 grossing films of a given year and wonder, well, why? Why was Three Men and a Baby the number one film in 1984? Yes, exactly. But why? It somehow said something to a large number of people in our country. What was that message that we needed to hear at that point? That fascinates me. But as far as what we look at, what people go to see, sometimes that does reflect the worst of us. I mean, there are things that that are huge successes that are quite embarrassing because they don't represent us, I think, or don't represent our best face. Titanic sucked. That's not true. I disagree. That was my favorite film that year. Well, we're going to get into disagreements and That's how fine. you handle people later because I don't get your take on this year's Hollywood film with by Tarantino. I don't get it why you didn't think it was amazing and it didn't change your life. <laughs> we're going to get into that okay, in a second. We're into that, yeah. In a second. But okay, let's talk about your career, though. You've been writing for the Illinois Times since 1998. You deliver weekly film reviews for WCIA, Mix 94.5. We just talked about the News Gazette off the air. Of all of those broadcast and print endeavors, which one do you enjoy the most? I I enjoy the writing of them more than anything. I mean, I do enjoy being on TV and the radio, but the spots I have are too short. You know, there's really no opportunity to get into anything in depth. It's more of a consumer reports type thing as far as whether you should spend your 10 bucks or not. So, and even though the word count in my space has been, you know, sliced at both the publications I work at, sitting down and writing and thinking about it, you know, is a much more creative process. And of course, it always depends on what you're writing about. You know, if there's no meat to the movie, then it's a pretty quick review to write. But if there's something to it that you really think about, you know, it's, it makes me think more about it. You know, the Joker being the most, you know, obvious recent example of something that really required a bit of thought past first impressions. And I also like to have time. I hate, uh, sometimes they will screen movies on Tuesday nights where I will have to go to Chicago or Indianapolis to see them before they come out on Friday. And my deadline is Wednesday morning at eight, which gives me no time at all to really you know, stop and think and stew and ruminate over things. That quick turnaround, I I hate. Well, let me ask you this then. I'm going to move a question up. Anybody thinks that they can watch movies and write a review, but you sort of paint a picture of the fact that there is time involved. It's not just about your opinion. You have to give it a whole big picture look. Well, there should be time involved. The people I enjoy are the ones who put it into context. They should be able to, whatever film you're looking at, put it into some historical context as far as film is concerned and how it plays off things or impacts things. If you've been doing it a while, it's not digging ditches. You know, it's not, it's not hard work. It's fun. You know, I'd never consider it work. And if it was something that I would be lucky enough to do as my only job, I certainly wouldn't be complaining about it at all. Do you ever feel pressure to write something nice about a movie that had zero redeeming qualities? No. Yeah, what do I have to lose? Who do you consider to be a brilliant filmmaker? There's a guy right now working that I really love named Robert Eggers, and he did a film called The Witch a couple years ago, and he has a new film coming out called The Lighthouse. He has, so far in only two films, has shown signs of brilliance. I'm I'm really going to be looking forward to what he does because he was someone who's coloring outside the lines. In working in low-budget things, he's not, you know, he doesn't have studios looking at him or dictating what he should do. He doesn't have the pressure of a $200 million budget saying that he's got to do certain things. That's what you look for, someone who's able to play the game, be in the industry, but still follow their own path. I love Soderbergh that way, too. He, you know, quit, 
you know, a few years ago, and now he's back, and he's doing projects that he wants to do, impassioned projects. It's interesting, I don't think these films are as good, but still, he's doing things his own way, and I admire that. Is there anybody you consider pretty overrated? Other than Tarantino? Um, <laughs> uh, well, there's always people who are overrated. I mean, Scorsese. No, no, there's no way he's overrated. And I cannot wait to see the new film he's doing. I mean, that's going to be an incredible, from everything, an incredible experience. And again, you know, that goes into the whole Netflix debate as far as whether things that appear there are films or not. And I think anyone who says that films that appear on Netflix aren't movies, I think that's sour grapes. Well, it's taking away from people sitting in a theater. It sure is, and that's a shame. And I wish that AMC would play ball with Netflix and show their films on theaters, because I agree with everyone that, yes, films are better in a theater, and it's always better with a, as a communal experience as well. The problem is with the studios, unless the movie is going to make a billion dollars and have a $200 million budget, they're not interested in making it. Everyone's been crying for years about how the middle-budget film has disappeared. Well, guess who's making the middle-budget film? Netflix. So all these people who want to go make their films more modest films, that's where they're going. You know, Mr. Spielberg, he doesn't have a problem getting anything greenlit, so of course he's going to be against Netflix. Well, that's kind of sour grapes as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of which, do you go to the Academy Awards? Do you get to go to these things? Uh, I don't go to the Academy Awards, but I'm a part of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, and we do the Critics' Choice Awards every year. And I go out to that every January. I want to bring up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Margot Robbie. I think she's a very underrated actress. I loved her as Tanya Harding. Not a great movie, but she gave a great performance. Are there other actresses that are on your radar that don't get enough mention? Yes, there's two that, that I absolutely love. One's name uh, is Florence Pugh. She was in a movie called Lady Macbeth. Oh, man, that is an incredible, incredible piece of work. I love that film. She's going to be in Little Women coming out this summer. Greta Gerwig, I love her. And also Haley Lou Richardson. She is wonderful as well. She was in a great little independent film called Columbus about Columbus, Indiana, a young woman who's stuck there. She was in Midsummer this past year, This the horror film. She pushes herself as well. Those two young ladies, I... Really, I'm looking forward to see what they're going to be doing. Is there anybody whose face you're sick of looking at? <laughs> like a Scarlett Johansson uh, or anything like that? Uh, no. No, not at all. I, I like her. And I think she's going to impress people this fall. She's got a movie coming out that uh, where I hear she's probably going to be nominated for an Oscar. And good for her because I think she's being in the Avengers films and all those things. I think people mistakenly kind of brush her aside. And she's a talented woman. I mean, go back and look at her early films. She's been doing this for a long time. Can I get you to admit that Margot Robbie was good at Sharon Tate? Can you at least say that? Okay. Margot Robbie, first off, I loved I, Tanya. I really thought that was a great movie. And I loved the fact that that was her production company as well. And that's what, that's what I like to see. Uh, these younger performers, especially women now, they form their own production company, and they're shepherding these projects as they should. I mean, the old saw in Hollywood is that there, you know, there are never any good parts for women. Well, in the last 20 years, we see that changing, primarily because they're taking that agency, which is great. Margot Robbie was fine in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but she had no part. That part had no depth whatsoever. She was a symbol. She was the symbol as Tarantino saw her, and that was it. 
And I think it was very ironic that a good chunk of the film, or the main part of the film with that character is, is her watching herself on screen. See, and I liked that scope of it. I liked too, but what was she about? What made her tick? What was important to her? But nobody knew ever the fact that she was married to Polanski is what made her famous and then tragically murdered. So there was no biographical information about her? I think she still has relatives alive. She certainly find out about her through them. I thought that it did a disservice to her. I will give you that. We talked a minute ago about young actresses. Let's switch gears to old teachers. And you like how I did that transition? <laughs> a couple of years ago, a federal agency filed a lawsuit, and you were part of that lawsuit. And it was ageism against teachers, which you never think of. Tell me a little bit about the lawsuit. It's still ongoing. No, 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 no. no it's not settled. We are entering our fourth year of that. Because as they say, the wheels of justice grind slow, and that's an understatement. Yes, no, the EEOC has filed suit against uh, the Urbana School District, and they are now at the point where they are gathering information from other employees in the district to see if they've also suffered from that as well. I have been told it's going to be probably another couple years before this all comes to the end, and it'll be probably five years total. So is this about the money? Is this about the principal? Or tell me a little bit about the history of it. Both. It's about both. Well, the history of it is is that I made a a big leap one year as far as my contract was concerned. You know, you have different steps on the contract. And the more other extra education you have, the more you advance on these steps. I advanced two steps in one year. And that would have entitled me to a raise of about $12,000. The district looks at this a law that the state of the Illinois has saying that you can't get more than a 6% raise every year as a teacher because we make so goddamn much money, of course. They said, the school district said, the flywheels who were in charge then, said that once you hit 50, you can't make more than 6% because you could retire at any point at the age of 50. So that raise I was going to get, I didn't get, because it went way past 6%. And the Urbana School District fought this idea. Yes. Yeah. On principle. Well, on principle, and I need the money. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm I'm not ashamed to say that. Actually, I didn't attain a lawyer. I fought this to the union, and the union lawyers ran with this thing until they handed it over to the EEOC, and now they are doing what they do. We have new administration at Urbana. I do not know where they stand on this at all. This is something that, unfortunately, uh, they've inherited. I never thought of teachers aging out of a system or getting screwed by the man. I don't know if this is just unique to Illinois or what. But again, we have that law because we make just too much money that you can't have a raise of over 6% a year. Maybe that's unique to us. I'm not quite sure. Let's talk about your other passion. You're a White Sox fan. Mm Having lived in Chicago for 16 years, you really are the unthought-about, unwanted blip on the wow, media you really radar. Want to go there. Okay, I do. And uh, even 2005, you didn't really get the love. Is it the underdog status? What is it about the team you like? Well, I think that team allegiances are things that are ingrained in you. I would say I'm sure that I'm not typical in the fact that you know my father was a White Sox fan, so I'm a White Sox fan, and that's just the way it is. You know, I try to tell the kids at school that you know it's easy to be for a winner. You don't really appreciate winning seasons unless you suffer through the trials and the tribulations of the losing seasons. It doesn't mean anything at that point. That was the ballpark we went to when I was a kid. Those were the players I knew. Those were the games that were on TV every summer when I was at home. So, you know, in proximity like that, you become a fan. You know the history. You see them year in, year out. And it just becomes, it's cyclical. 
you know, kind of becomes part of my life. Oh, April, baseball starting. We got a chance this year. Oh, July. Oh, we're out of it again. Okay. You know, it just becomes part of your life, I think. And, you know, I'm 54 years old. So, I mean, this has been, been a while. How about your kids? Are they White Sox fans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've warped them. I think there's maybe 25 of us in the Champaign-Urbana area, so we have to, you know, stick together. We're the only ones who know what's going on. I'm going to switch back to movies, and I purposefully am not going to ask you, what's your favorite movie of all time? What movie do you hate? Because I don't like those kind of interviews, but sometimes a performance comes along that knocks me off my feet, and this year it was Taron Egerton as Elton John. Were you as moved by that performance this year? He was great. I mean, there's no question about it. The one that I like better would be Renee Zellweger as Judy. She is phenomenal in this role. And I think maybe you're indicating that perhaps in going to see so many movies, I might be jaded or we get jaded. And we do. We do. And that's why it's so special when something like the Edgerton performance comes along or Zellweger's performance comes along, which snaps me out of that. It reminds you of why you love the movies. You know, those transcendent moments where, you know, you, you don't feel as though you're watching a movie. You're there. I find as I get older that those moments occur less and less. But when they do happen, it's much more special. And when you see Judy, I know you said you were going to see it soon. You're going to forget that you're watching her. I mean, she really did her homework. And you think you're watching Judy Garland. And that's the magic of the movies is being transformed or whether it's because of a performance, whether it's because of a unique story. You know, that's what we look for. That's at least what I look for. And like I say, it's becoming harder and harder to find those things. I would say Christian Bale nailed Dick Cheney, even though I couldn't picture him before I saw the movie as Cheney. Yeah. You know, and you talk about people you look forward to, him every time, because he's a guy who challenges himself every time. I worry about his health. I mean, the the yo-yo weight thing that he has with all the roles he's been doing over the past 15 years. Gracious, talented man. And uh, again, you're wondering, okay, what next? What are you going to show me next? And he's got a film coming out in uh, December that is just getting rave reviews, as, as you would expect. How about Ben Affleck? How do you feel about him in general? He's okay. He's there. I think he gets bad rap. I don't think he's as bad as everyone says. I think he's suffering through the Kevin Costner syndrome. You know, we love as a society to build people up just to tear them down. Uh, and that's where Ben is right now. I'm going to walk out if you say anything bad about the bodyguard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to make a confession. That's the only Kevin Costner film I haven't seen. Are you open to when people criticize you and tell you that you're wrong sure. on a review? How do sure. you be wrong on a review? What a lot of people say, well, you know, They'll come up and say, well, I'm not an expert, so what I say doesn't count. And I say, no, 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 that's not true. Every, what everyone says counts. You know, everyone's opinion matters. No, I just, you know, well, that's, that's your opinion. Okay, I, I'll just stand there and listen and say, well, I'm glad you enjoyed that film. You know, just kind of leave it at that. That's your diplomatic answer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I, I've learned early on that being confrontational or trying to argue just gets you nowhere, so better to be pleasant. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Chuck Kaplinski, thank you so much for your time today. You bet.